You are listening to The 21st Folio, a podcast about modern Shakespeare productions of stage and screen. The podcast is a subsidiary of The Seventh Row, an online publication dedicated to interdisciplinary film and theater criticism. You can find us on Twitter at Seventh Row with the number seven spelled out or online at seventh-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-Row.com. On today's episode, we're doing sort of a special episode that came out of, I don't even remember what conversation on Twitter, but it turns out that we have amongst our uh, regular guests some Hogwarts aficionados who know the mind of the sorting hat. And uh, so so we decided that we would take on some of uh, Shakespeare's characters and see what would happen if they were to go to Hogwarts. And in particular, we also thought, what if we looked at specific productions of some of the plays and how that might change where which house the character fits into perhaps not what Shakespeare intended or Shakespeare didn't know that his characters were so versatile I'm your host Alex Heaney I'm the editor-in-chief at the seventh row you can find me on twitter at bwestcineast that's b-w-e-s-t-c-i-n-e-a-s-t-e and today our guests are uh Connor. Uh, I'm Connor Joel. I copy it at 7th Row and uh, talk way too much about Harry Potter on Twitter at Keep the Muse. And we also have Danny Bowes. And Danny? Uh, I'm Danny Bowes. I'm a film and theater critic, uh, currently a weekly columnist at Film School Rejects. And I, too, have uh, a rather consuming uh, obsession with the, the Harry Potter canon. So, yeah, they're the experts here today. So um, <laughs> so to give people a bit of context, I think, Danny, can you tell us about, like, what the different houses are and what their character, what their traits are? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, at Hogwarts in the Harry Potter books, and just for those of you who might be a little less obsessive than we are, there are four houses in the school. Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and Slytherin. And each is associated in the early part of the books with very specific, very, you know, few, like, like character traits. And the, the natures of each house get like more nuanced with each successive book by the end of the series there are like fairly interesting you know like you know like like a lot deeper distinctions between the houses than they are when they start but it's still you know so anyway so the, the specific traits that each house is associated with is a gryffindor is most specifically associated with bravery and heroism, Ravenclaw with learning and wit, uh, Hufflepuff with work ethic and loyalty, and Slytherin with ambition and the desire for power and influence. Each of these definitions get, you know, like a little deeper with each uh, successive book, but that is the basic starting point where they all begin from and the and those are sort of the definitions that we're going to be working with the sorting Shakespearean characters into them today. So okay. where where I sort of diverge a little bit from, I guess, the canon houses is that like just on the face of it, especially in those first few books, you sort of have like Gryffindor is protagonist house, Slytherin is villain house, and then you have um, Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, which are sidekick houses, or just like. They're just there because you need four things for it to feel magical. So um, I think on the face of it, that kind of is silly. And while children's books can be silly, like I like to take them. I like to take them seriously. Like if you were to found a magical school, you wouldn't like put all of the good people over here and like let the bad kids do their own thing. So. Oh, yeah. That's what that's I mean. One about of the first questions that I more nuanced. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'll let you go. 
continue. No, no, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a conversation. So I just wanted to throw yeah. that out there. So, like, one time, I can't remember, I think it was in one of my Facebook groups that's, like, devoted to Sherlock and especially just to Benedict himself. We were probably talking about how we would sort the characters in the BBC Sherlock, which then caused me to need to, like, expound on my whole philosophy of sorting. So what I, it came down to for me was that, like, I think if you found, like, like if you're a medieval person, like, living in, like, the actual Middle Ages, again, you wanted to found a magic school, it probably would be less like, less like a Victorian boarding school novel and more like a very serious alchemical college, like, even if you're working with children. So my idea, and this is something that is like reflected in the books, just in a very subtle way. So my idea is you associate each of the four houses with like one of the four principal magical arts. So Gryffindor is transfiguration, Slytherin is potions, Ravenclaw is charms, and Hufflepuff is herbology. And you see like, even in like J.K. Rowling's story, like the professor of transfiguration is always a Gryffindor, the professor of potions is always a Slytherin, and so on. Like, those are the heads of the houses. They're associated with those arts. Each of those arts, in my mind, is also associated with a specific, like, classical element. So transfiguration is fire. It's the element of change. Potions is water, which is um, element of solution or dissolving. Charms is air, which is the element of communication. And herbology is earth, which is the element, I think I ended up calling it the element of potential, like... You think of like the womb of the earth bringing out new life. And then like, so then for me, there's like one final layer where you're talking about like the association of the elements with Galenic ideas about medicine and the bodily humors, which interestingly is where a lot of um, Renaissance discussions of like proto psychology come out. They're talking about like the personality traits associated with these like mystical liquids that are in balance inside of your body. So for Gryffindor, you have the fiery temper, which is Kohler for um, where, uh, yeah, for Slytherin, it's um, the wet temper, which is phlegm. Then for um, Ravenclaw blood or sanguine. And then Hufflepuff is the dry, cold one, black color or melancholy. This is so fascinating to listen to. <laughs> sure, sure. So, like, I think the the idea for me of a magical school with like four principal arts is like it seems very similar to the idea, the classical idea of like the human body held in balance, which then like reflects the ideal balance of the state or society. So. Hogwarts school is a like a magical college Four of the like the four principal arts all held in balance, which then like reflects the magical society as a whole, which is hopefully led by like well-tempered magicians, wiz- wizards and witches, which I think um, reflects for me the same idea that's often held up in the Shakespearean tragedy especially, you're looking at the protagonist of those stories is typically a princely man who has to solve a problem that is like also reflected in his personal psychology. So with Hamlet, it's um, like this, like Denmark is in t- personal turmoil. Like they're all collectively grieving this king that they lost. Hamlet's also grieving the loss of his father and like he has to decide how to go forward from that so you see like that idea of like the prince and the state sort of being mirrors for each other in character and circumstance and i know danny you said that your philosophy was a little bit more intuitive well in it's because i mean it I was, not to drop too much of a sob story on anybody, but I was sort of ill-served by a public uh, public school system uh, growing up. So um, for the most part, it's in academic terms, I'm self-taught, and I end up 
you know, sitting around coming up with these brilliant ideas. And it turns out that somebody had them 500 years ago, but you know, it's like, I wasn't, uh, what wasn't privy to it because I, you know, just, I'm still largely, you know, self-taught and I'm still, you know, like catching up with, with stuff. But I mean, which is not to say that I don't have, you know, any elements of, you know, the classics in my education, but it's just that I have big gaps and rather than taking an, uh, the, the, the approach of academic precedent to the way that I sort fictional characters or at, at one point NBA <laughs> players into Hogwarts houses, um, <laughs> that um, instead of taking academic precedent, I took more specifically the just like very basic elemental uh, moral aspects of mm. each house and match character traits based on, you know, just like the personal, personal observations of the given person who I'm mm-hmm. sorting in. And it was, uh, I, I spent a wildly entertaining afternoon sorting NBA players into Hogwarts houses. It was oh, so man. much fun. And <laughs> like, and I found who the secret nerds were in the basket, in, in, in like, you know, the, the basketball beat writer, uh, Twitter. And uh, it was really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think one time I had a very similar conversation on Twitter. Like I didn't start it. I just joined it. Like a couple of my friends were trying to sort and this has happened a couple different times. Like one time it was like classic or it was like the pop stars of today into <laughs> Hogwarts houses. And another time it was like set the seventies, like folk pop scene. It's like, I wow. think everyone decided James Taylor was a Slytherin. Oh, was hilarious to me. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Paul Simon, probably a Ravenclaw. It was great. Joni Mitchell, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> Joni Mitchell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Only if, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's wild. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you're laughing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm very ignorant when it comes to the Hogwarts houses. So this is all very illuminating to me. I mean, I knew like Gryffindor was courageous and basically I'm still at like I've read all the books but I'm still at book one level of understanding of what the houses are so (laughs) yeah okay so shall we start with Hamlet since I understand that there's some contention about what house he might belong in sure so I think I think I said in one of our like chats or emails about this before that I I feel like he's often perceived as like a nerdy bookish character. And I don't know where that comes from. What do you think, Danny? Well, I am one of those people who you are arguing against because I see Hamlet as being, oh yeah. Well, I mean, this is great because I mean, I see him as somebody who got sorted into Ravenclaw because he had the potential to, live up to like a standard of uh, learning and so forth and everything like that. But that he kind of, you know, he's like that kid who got sorted in a Ravenclaw and then pulled straight C's his entire time at Hogwarts, even though they don't have C's, you know, there. Yeah. You know, like, like what, what um, yeah. I, I forget what the grading system is. Cause I'm not that much of a fucking nerd, but yeah, like that. Um, Oh, I, I think, think it would be like, an A. A for acceptable. acceptable, acceptable, right? Yeah. He pulled straight <laughs> acceptables his entire seven years. Yeah. Although, and all the other Ravenclaw kids are looking at him just like, Hamlet, man, you know, the only reason why he's here is because he's a prince, man. It's a total string pulling. You know? But then why is yeah. he in such a hurry to get back to Witten- Wittenberg if he's like well, not that serious? I think, well, university is about more than books. You know, put it that yeah. Way. <laughs> okay. But he's like a 40-year-old student. Are you calling him like the creepy grad student? Well, maybe. <laughs> I think... So my conception... That's a whole other podcast. No, yeah, yeah. So my, my conception of Hamlet is based around the idea that, like, Hamlet is a family drama that is, like, sort of cast in, like, cosmic political terms. But I think Hamlet's main problem is that he feels that his home life has been unsettled. Like, his father... Like, he feels this deep loyalty to his father that is cut off, and he's like, Mom... What's the deal? You married my uncle. This is not cool. My family's messed up. That messes up like everything inside of him. So I think 
Hamlet is a Hufflepuff. Okay, so now this brings thrown into melancholy by family dismay. So this raises an interesting question. Are we sorting the characters based on like how they would have been sorted when they were, you know, 12, like the characters in Harry Potter were, or based on how they appear in the play? Because Hamlet's state of unrest within his family is a recent development. That's true. Hmm. Unless well, he, I, think, like, he knew that Claudius was going to kill his dad, like, years ago. Like, it's I don't know. Been... I think part of part of the sorting, like, the sorting dilemma, and, like, Dumbledore talks about this in the second, in the seventh book, in Snape's memory. He's like, well, I think sometimes we sort too soon. And so the idea is, like, is there really something that um, is essential to an, like, adult character that is present in an 11-year-old child? Or are you really saying something about, like archetypal personalities in general. I don't know. I tend to lean towards the second, mostly because I think that the person that I was at 11 is very different from who I am today at not 11, but... Well, the other angle to take on this is that, you know, just from, like, you know, an absolutist perspective, a text is the text and that is all that there is. So all the only information that we have is to sort them based on who they are in the text. So we're not talking about sorting them at 11 unless they are 11 in the play, which most of them like are. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're basically, yeah, like like you said, uh, uh, Connor, doing the thing about, you know, it's like, sometimes I feel a result too soon. You know, it's like, yeah, that... <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 like we're 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 th- this is our chance for like a for a mulligan to Ooh, okay to, to get it right. it yeah well that's the way I'm looking at this anyway sure no I I like it so we have Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw for Hamlet is that and, and, and yeah and, and, and yeah I, I I would like to register my extreme disagreement with the with the verdict of Hufflepuff <laughs> <laughs> sure and I I would like to say I think. I don't know. I think if he was a Ravenclaw, he'd be more winning with his words, which he's not. At least not within the play. Now, if we're talking about the play outside the play that we are watching to to do a very Hamletian like layer of plays, like maybe he's a Ravenclaw just because his soliloquies have lasted so long and they're very charming and effective upon the viewer. But, but are you really I think seeing, like, in text, in text yeah. everything he says results in more fighting. He's not he's, a very charming fellow. I mean, well, he's, like, deliberately fucking with people. Um, but he is, like, very witty doing it. It's just that, you know, like, Polonius can't quite keep up with him. And hmm. he but does affect, wor- and he's trying to guilt, his, he's not, he's trying to guilt his mother. And that's pretty effective. But the laws oh, you're, that you're grounded pulling, you're pulling back are back not the story of a play. Sorry, sorry. What, what? Go ahead, Danny. Oh no, I was just I was just meta commenting on the commenting. Not important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, and I was just saying, like, I don't see where like groundedness and loyalty is coming through in Hamlet. I mean, maybe maybe it's been a while since I read Hamlet, but that's the only thing it's like about specifically about Hamlet as a Hufflepuff. I mean, I don't know. Well, but he's also I don't feel like I'm paying for taking this shit way too seriously. For a so oh, I don't know. I think his, I think the ghost or his father or his apparition of the ghost. I don't want to comment on that. But like whatever, whatever is happening between Hamlet and the sense of the ghost that he has is definitely, I think, an appeal to some kind of loyalty. It's like take action based on the love that you felt for your father and the sense of unsatisfied justice that there is. But whether that's reflected in what he actually does, debatable. Well, okay, I mean, he takes a long time to figure out how to avenge his father's death, but that is sort of his whole driving force. He could have just gone back to Wittenberg and made out with Ophelia, as Ryan North suggested in the Hamlet book, but he doesn't. He sticks around and complains about how he can't kill uh, Claudius yet. Claudius, classic Slytherin. Yes, absolute classic, yeah. He's a poisoner. But even if okay. he even if he didn't actually poison Hamlet Senior, which but to challenge the the Hufflepuff suggestion, I mean, 
he's loyal to his father, but he sure like drops Ophelia fast. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Ophelia, not very well served by anyone. And yeah. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern right. are his friends who he just sends off to their deaths like it's a joke. Yeah. I mean, yes, they well, were spying they betrayed, on him. They betrayed him first. They wow. spied on him. They didn't have him killed. These are the prices we pay for contrarian takes, Connor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. I'll just be conf- I'll just be confident over here that I'm right, and the world can the world can judge me. <laughs> so, um, do, do we want to do uh, like if we touch on the pertains of play? Do we want to do like a quick lightning round of like who all the supporting characters are? Yes, yes, let's. Because, okay, so we got Claudius as a Slytherin. I would like to propose what I feel is a very uncontroversial take of Laertes as a Gryffindor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Laertes, Laertes' solution to the problem is, like, draw swords, fight. Very Gryffindor. Classic. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Polonius is a squib. Classic squib. No power. Mmm. There's an interesting wrinkle. Yeah. I can't dispute he, he would, I think he would like to be a Ravenclaw because he thinks of himself as a very wise counselor, <laughs> but his his advice is like chicken soup for the prince. Yeah. And it's not even good. Good chicken. Well, brevity, brevity is the soul of wit in the no, middle of a 15-minute okay. monologue. <laughs> his advice is good. It's poorly expressed. Right? He has good advice. I think, you know, I think, poorly, I think poorly expressed advice is bad advice. Because if it's poorly expressed, no one's going to listen to it. Like, nobody would read an advice columnist that took that long to get to the point. I just love I mean, except for, maybe, except for maybe Savage, but Dan Savage has... Yeah. Well, I don't know. I feel like his reputation could exceed him. Sorry, podcast gods. I think that even however disputable this may be, it going far enough outside of the box to call him a squib means that we should just respect that take and, like, let it be enshrined. Polonius, yeah. squib. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, are there any major characters who would be Gertrude. any other characters? Hey, Gertrude, but I mean, like, I don't really have much of, like, a read on her. She seems sort of, like, I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll pass as far as rendering I, judgment. I mean, I think Gertrude probably depends on the production because mm-hmm. I've definitely seen her as like ambitious, so she could be a Slytherin, and then I've also seen her as like a a really good mother, which I guess would be Hufflepuff. Not that could she's like a great mother, but she's Gryffindor. like really. We don't we don't see her we don't really see her like fighting for anybody, so it's hard to say whether she's a Gryffindor or not. But well, this also speaks to a larger yeah. problem in Shakespearean canon, which is that the women characters don't tend to be written very fully, and a lot of the interpretation of them depends entirely on the performance that's brought by the performer. Yeah. I mean, there are exceptions to this. This is not like a, a, a you know like an across the board uh, thing, but for the most part, like a lot of the women in Shakespeare tend to you know like I mean they're not the headliners. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. Especially in, like in these in these big tragic plays that are all about like one prince making a decision in like one day. Well, not one day, but there's a unity yeah. of action in the Aristotelian sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the main exceptions to that are like Viola and Juliet, but like, I mean, not really. Lady Macbeth, who I hope we get to talk about. Oh, Lady Macbeth too. Yeah. Well, and what about Rosalind oh. and and um, Beatrice? Well, like the comedies, the comedies are different, yeah. for sure. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. The Fair like enough. the like big four tragedies the that tragedies. are all, mostly all about men and their victims. What about Cordelia? Yeah. I'd say Cordelia is pretty clear cut, isn't she? Cordelia could be a Hufflepuff or she could be a squid, depending on how sarcastic you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> I mean, I we don't want to overdo the squid thing because the thing is, like, you keep on calling everybody squids, then it loses its. That's power. true, and then all of a sudden you're like, Connor, you just don't respect anyone. Maybe that's Connor. Funny. You stepped all over your own joke. How could you? <laughs> true. Better back off it. Yeah. <laughs> no, Cordelia, Cordelia, classic Hufflepuff. Yeah. Okay. Especially the Cordelia, especially the Cordelia in um, Slings and Arrows, who's played by Sarah Polly, playing an actress playing Cordelia. Very oh, Hufflepuff. Uh, 
I, I know. It's I need so to. fucking good. Yeah. I'm a bad Canadian because I haven't seen it. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> really bad. Is that that on your own Shakespeare podcast? <laughs> Self snitching. <laughs> Am I the only one who's seen it? No, no, you're not. I'm just, I'm just a bad Canadian. Craig well, I mean, I know not. I mean, I know I'm not the only person in the world who has seen it. But like, no, but I man, mean, within our within our podcast verse. I mean, not to. I, you might be the okay. only one on here today that's seen it, but within the podcast sure. verse, I'm like the minority among the Canadians. They all are like embarrassed by me for with good reason. Man. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so, okay. back John to from Hamlet. Back to Hamlet. Ophelia. Oh. That's another extremely performance dependent one, I think, because there are. Yep. I mean, textually, she's just sort of like one and there, and she's the, you know, she's the girl or you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. I don't know. This is something that just like it. it I know it's a, it, like a different theatrical literary tradition and everything, but you know, it's like it still kind of irritates me when you like you know reading through the play and it's like there's nothing here, man. You know, I mean, it's just it's just words, 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 and then the man comes back and. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, a bit I think, of an exaggeration. I think Rachel McAdams again, in Slings and Arrows. <laughs> a bit of an exaggeration, Alex. I've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel McAdams, I think, played Ophelia as a sad, sad Gryffindor. But I think Rachel McAdams plays most of her characters as a conflicted Gryffindor because she's awesome. Yeah, and even in Mean Girl, she's a fallen from rich Gryffindor. <laughs> Okay. Is honor a carb, Danny? Is honor a carb? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Oh, man. I'm laughing at my own jokes. (laughs) It's okay. Somebody has to. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Are we done with Hamilton? (gasps) Moving on to the next play? Sure. Sure. Unless, I mean... Are there any productions of Hamlet that we've all seen, or, or at least that the two of you have seen, that we can evaluate for um, Ophelia and Gertrude? Um, Let me plug the one I'm trying that to remember. I was in 2006 that none of y'all saw. Did you say that you were in? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, cool. I, I, so, so because I played the Gravedigger, I can pass complete Ooh. judgment on the Gravedigger as... <laughs> <laughs> a dog in the wool Hufflepuff. Yeah, I, I I I played him with a very broad New England accent, as you know, sort of like the um, like the townie who does like you know the grounds work at the golf course in like rich ass Wasp, Connecticut, which because it was basically like it was Hamlet as a Greenwich, Connecticut prep school guy, uh, in this production because that was you know, cool. just, so, so like good good with it, well, no. I mean, more like... No, because uh, that's the opposite, because Will Hunting is, like, the opposite of that. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is, like, upper-crust yeah, yeah. New England uh, Hamlet. And in that like. production, our Gertrude was very Slytherin-y. Hmm. And our Ophelia was very Gryffindory in that. Um, but this is also largely because of the... Um, natural just just sort of like way that the actresses who played those roles carried themselves in life and in their work so i mean that's uh, you know again it's like you know it's the performer bleeding into the performance but you know you can you know make the philosophical argument that the play truly is what it is as a result of all of those elements working together not just the text so there you go right yeah and as you were saying that, I thought again about the Kate Winslet Ophelia in mm-hmm. uh, Branagh's, Branagh's. Yeah. Hamlet. And I think yeah. Kate Winslet is one of those people that always plays a Gryffindor, no matter what she's yeah. playing. Mm-hmm. And her Ophelia is, again, someone who's very, very sad. And um, I think, I can't, it's the movie's like four hours long, so I can't remember whether <laughs> Ophelia commits suicide or not. But, yeah, someone someone who has, like, faced the world and been wounded and then all of those things. Yes. I love Kate Winslet. Well, how can one not? It's true. Fair you point. have to question people who don't love her, really. 
Marianne Dashwood, now and forever. <laughs> we could totally go off into a sense and sensibility place, but we should, oh, instead, since I want to talk about um, Emma Thompson, we should do a uh, much ado. Yes, sure. Yes. That would be a good opportunity to move up to Hamlet too, because I think we've only been talking about Hamlet this whole yeah, time. Yeah, well, that, yeah. my next, yeah. my agenda was to switch gears, so perfect. Much ado. There we go. Sweet. Much ado about nothing. I have to largely sit this one out because uh, my familiarity with Much Ado trails my familiarity with the other major plays considerably. So I'll turn this portion of the discussion over to you two. Oh no! I mean, okay. I can recite the play. I just am not an expert on Hogwarts. <laughs> Well, that's fine. I mean, you know the characters, though. This is for true. sure. Yeah. So Beatrice, Beatrice and Benedict, what's your read on them? Benedict is such... Maybe Benedict is like Slytherin? He's so whiny. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> and he's so intent on getting everybody else to like not marry while being like... Um, did I mention... Did I tell you about this, this lady Beatrice who's super hot? I, I I don't like her. She's awful. But 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 did, did mm-hmm. I mention? And then they're like, no, nobody was talking about Beatrice, dude. You're the one who keeps bringing her up. Right. So I think, and I think textually, I think I want to like set stage on Much Ado like as an environment. That's so weird and dramatics. But anyway, so Much Ado. The dramatics of the play is like you have all of these men returning from war, like shedding their wartime selves and like hopefully getting married. So like you, like they've, they've all been on the battlefield. They've all been, I guess, performing Gryffindor in that aspect. And now you see them like in this domestic war, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So you like, so there's, there's like four main male characters and you have like the two main female characters and then like all your extra people more or less. Okay. But yeah, Beatrice, Beatrice and Benedict. Beatrice. Well, I, I, Beatrice is difficult, right? Because she's like, I'll eat all of your killing. So, and and she wants to go to war and she keeps, you know, I wish I were a man and and kill Claudius. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not Claudius. We're on Much Ado. Kill Claudio. Claudio. <laughs> yeah. Which, which would all suggest that she's Gryffindor, but also she's like by far the smartest person in the play. Mm-hmm. Our merry, our merry war of wits which I don't know if anyone says, but it's like, that's the idea. She's going to wittily. Yeah. And she's also constantly charming everybody and just being mm-hmm. wonderful. Right. Uh, Don Pedro proposes she... to her halfway through the play. Yeah. Last. But what that proposal means depends on the production, right? Because Ooh, true. Because Denzel is like I mean, I personally love his Don Pedro, but <sighs> the problem with him being so nuanced and and mature and wonderful is that it becomes harder to believe that he just throws Hero to the wolves like in an instant when he had that such a nuanced interaction with Beatrice. So, like in yeah. the Whedon one, Don Pedro is basically a frat boy. That's Reed Diamond, right? Yeah, yeah. Never met Hedgen, he couldn't wag. Whereas I think maybe he might be more of a Gryffindor or a Hufflepuff in Branagh's. Mm-hmm. I think in Branagh's production, Gryffindor. I would call right. I would call Don Pedro a Hufflepuff in the Branagh. Yeah, that makes sense. He's he's doing that similar like Christopher Jackson as George Washington thing, where like he is like King Dad for everyone. Yeah. And, yep. like, King Dad is a definite um, Hufflepuff role. King Dad, I like that. And do you think, what about Beatrice? Because, I don't know, I guess maybe she's oh, leaning towards Gryffindor, even though she's by far the smartest. Yeah, I think it's that, and this is this is that thing that Hamilton fans like to fight about a lot, is, like, when the, when the like, mouthiest, smartest, like fastest talking person on stage is also someone who like wants to punch people's heads together. Like, is that a Gryffindor or is that a Ravenclaw? I think it definitely is like up to 
interpretation. I think in the play, she might lean a little bit more Gryffindor because she's like playing that martial role the whole time, and she wants she wants Benedict and Claudio to like duke it out. Yeah. But well, think- and, and there's also all of. I mean, the play is full of all of this like animal imagery, and mm-hmm. a lot of her jokes or lines are about that, and it's all like very visceral. And she's got that whole thing at the beginning about how she promises to eat all of his killing and how how, how many happy mm-hmm. kills, and that all strikes me as very lion-like. Yes. It's In fact, great. there isn't. There's a I line. Think- there's actually a line in the play is I'll do with a feats of a lion, uh, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I think I think Shakespeare's Beatrice, like straight up Gryffindor. I think a lot of that gets nuanced in Branagh's production, which is the one that I'm most familiar with. Like Emma Thompson plays the best one. Like <laughs> definitely, she plays she plays Beatrice as I'm like a fiery Cam's wit. Silent during that. <laughs> And a wit yeah. is uh, very like she's the like the main like the act the romance action of the play is sort of like he brings it down to like those two like love poems that they write about each other and like throw away and like that seems to be what ultimately brings them together is like their love of language which to me makes like Emma Emma's playing the text very well she's also playing someone who's very much. Like I guess I guess a louder louder spoken Eleanor Dashwood. So Ravenclaw for me. In oh, I don't. She's not. She's not like internal enough to be an Eleanor Dashwood. But no, okay, no, no. I'm just saying like Eleanor Dashwood Austin podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, Austin. Austin is super Shakespearean, but I get what you're uh, saying. But she's like the center. She's, you know, full of joy. She's the center of attention. And so is Benedict. In fact, Benedict like wants to be the center of attention. And in Branna's version gets in a in a half if he isn't the center of attention. He's constantly like butting in between Claudio and Don Pedro as they're talking about their plan. He's like, remember me? I love Beatrice. And they're like, we know you love Beatrice. And like, no, I hate yeah. Beatrice. And they're like, we, we know you love Beatrice. <laughs> yeah, no, I think they're both. I think. In Branna's play, they're both like Ravenclaws in love because they both want everyone to like constantly be aware that they're the smartest and the wittiest. The gossip in New York is insidious, etc. Sorry, uh, <laughs> satisfied. Yeah, I got that. Um... Renee Elise Goldberry, marry everyone because you're the best. Yeah, she would be a good Beatrice. Oh my god. Yeah, she plays that whole um, would would that I were a man sort of attitude very well. And smartest person in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room, Benedict? You will never be satisfied. Well, Benedict will never be as smart as Beatrice. I mean, sorry, Benedict. That's true. That's true. Hero's a Hufflepuff. <clears throat> yeah, Okay. We didn't cast Benedict, though. I mean, I suggested, like, kind of jokingly, kind of not Slytherin. I think I've said Ravenclaw a couple times, but we haven't, like, oh. reached consensus. That's that's kind of funny to put him in Ra- I don't know. I don't know where to put him. Because definitely he thinks he's the smartest person in the room. But unlike right, Hamilton, he is not. Like, if we, if, we were, if we were to go to his, like, 11-year-old self which has been suggested a couple of times. I think 11-year-old Benedict would definitely have been a Ravenclaw. But but then he's also like a team player, bro kind of guy. And in oh. my version of the play, it's implied that he and Claudio had like a wartime tryst. But I don't what? know. <laughs> I don't think so. Because Claudio actually looks up to him, which I feel like you would not do if you actually had to date Benedict. Oh, not date. I just think they were very close, physically. You suggested they had a tryst. I feel like then he would be like, oh, I can see through you, Benedict. <laughs> Idiot. I mean, possibly. I just think there's something about wartime anyway. Okay, well. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That's okay. Well, we can save that for our episode on Shakespearean kinks. Shakespearean kinks. Um, <laughs> 
<clears throat> sure, sure. Oh gosh. Um, Don John, obviously a Slytherin, because Slytherin is villain house. <laughs> and he's really, really wants to be a villain. Okay, where do yes, you put Dogberry? I think Dogberry's an accidental Ravenclaw. Dogberry is an idiot. Right, but he's hilarious. But he's an idiot. The sun shines with his wisdom. I would have put him probably as a Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff, or, well, he's... Hmm. I mean, he's also, like, loud and obnoxious and kind of an ass, which is, for me, a not Griffin trying portrait. to be. He doesn't know that that's what he is. <laughs> he thinks he's around. being, like, a loyal servant. Dogberry is Ron Weasley. Ooh. <laughs> Ron Weasley is Gryffindor par excellence. That's except yeah, I, I was I was try I was trying to say this except that my mic was muted accidentally. So you missed my whole like impassioned thing. I thought you guys were just talking <laughs> over me and I was like, no 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 dog the one thing I know about much to do about nothing is the dogberry is Ron Weasley. Yeah. Dogberry is Ron Weasley. I agree, yeah. and I wish your microphone hadn't been muted. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, well, the thing is, though, is that I managed to crystallize the whole argument into that one phrase while I was shouting uh, <laughs> frustratedly into my muted microphone. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's tough being Xander. <laughs> okay, I think I'd be covered, everyone, pretty much. Oh, Margaret? She's a, she's a woman in a Shakespeare play. I don't know. Yeah. This... Oh, my God. No, I'm the primary the primary and secondary women in Shakespeare plays are often really great. The tertiary female characters are like, I am delivering the plot now. Okay. Sort of. How about Margaret in Kenneth Branagh's? Oh, Imelda? Yes. Imelda Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff? Oh, just because Hufflepuffs want to have fun. Cindy oh. Lauper has a whole song about that. Okay. Yeah, okay. If that's a if that's a Hufflepuff characteristic, then sure. I mean, it's also a Griffin. It's also a Griffin debatable, but yeah. Um, I'm just saying, like, like Imelda, she she reads. Uh, although, of course, she's also Dolores Umbridge. But whatever, that doesn't. Yeah, matter. I'm just thinking about that. There's like actually actual. a lot of actual Harry Potter people in Bran as much to do, right? It's true. <laughs> Bran as much to do. <laughs> Let's get all my pals together and make a movie, and it'll be great. And it is. Well, because like, because Trelawn, Trelawney, Trelawney. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Yeah. she's Gryffindor, right? Editor would like to point out that Trelawney is in fact a Ravenclaw. That's Emma Thompson. Uh, I don't know actually. No, that is yeah. That was Emma Thompson. Yeah, and, she's Emma Thompson. And then Amelda Thompson is um, Umbridge. 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 And Branna is Gilderoy Lockhart, which is the most perfect Harry Potter casting that ever casted. <laughs> yeah, and I gotta say, I was really skeptical of that one at first, because when I first read the, the Chamber of Secrets, the whole book I was going, oh man, Hugh Grant is gonna kill it in the Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> that would also but, be perfect. And I was so disappointed when Branna got the part because I was like, ah, oh, my dreams are dashed upon the rocks. But then Branna was, uh, was ruled. Yes. Yep. <laughs> okay. Because oh, when, uh, yeah, when he doesn't have to like wear his director star hat and he can just like be pure Branna Ed, it's perfect. He's going to have a fascinating biopic one of these days because he starts out in movies with like Henry V and Bedekin and all these great movies and, you know, he's, he's all with the Shakespeare. And then suddenly he's directing he's like Jack Ryan part five and <laughs> four, you know? <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. Thor is a great movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. But still, the whole time I was like, man, Kenneth Branagh, I hope you got paid for this. Huh? Oh, God. Yeah. Well, Thor is he, a great movie to fall asleep to. <laughs> he got a directing award from the San Francisco Film Society a couple of years ago. Um, and I went to the talk and he basically said that he was embarrassed by Thor and that he failed big. And he had a really hard time accepting people's compliments who were like, Thor was such a great film. And he was like, uh, thanks. 
<laughs> that's adorable. He doesn't know how amazing it is. Uh, anyway, so that's the, yeah. Another! That's what I say to Thor. Another! Okay, how about Henry V? Henry V. Well, and the interesting thing about Henry V is that he is a completely different character by this point than he is in Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two. Oh yeah. So well, hmm. so so Henry. Well, no, I mean I'm well, not saying he's completely different, but the thing is, I think that it is in play to have him in different houses based on each play. Whether oh, or not that actually ends up happening is hmm, up okay. to, is is up for discussion. Okay, but so I I'm definitely. Where would you place Hal Part 1, Hal Part 2, and Henry V? Well, I mean, there's something about, like, dissolute decadence that even though, like, it's not text in the Harry Potter books, that it reads as very Gryffindory to me. You know, like, mm-hmm. that the Gryffindors yeah. would be, like, this the sexual aristocrats, you know, like, you know, trying all the shit that, you know, like, the, uh, trying things that Hufflepuffs have only read about, like, it, you know, the, the Daily <laughs> Prophet after dark and, and stuff, you know. And it's like, man, those Gryffindors, they just lead these glamorous lives that we can never, you know. Um. So I think that as, as like, you know, Demi Mondi as, as part one, Hal is that he's still a Gryffindor in that. Mm-hmm. Part two, I think he's like, like the slightly more grown up version of that cat. So like he would be the same in that, but I'm not sure whether. Actually, nah, he's a Gryffindor in all three. Right, I was about to say. I was say, thinking about it. If, you, if you conclude something else after well, reading St. Crispin's, then I know, that's I know, fine, but, the, but you're but wrong. The, I think the thing is, though, is that like he grew from one aspect of being a Gryffindor into another aspect of being a Gryffindor. Like, I think he grew up into a more noble conception of what it, what it is mm-hmm. than where he started. Right, he goes from being a, a Fred and George Weasley to being like a Harry Potter sacrificial martyr. Exactly. Only not martyr because he wins and doesn't. Yeah, have to yeah die. but he gets dysentery, so. That's true. Um, but that's not in the play. That's just no. history. <laughs> Deuterocanon. Um, okay, so that's the text. I'm that's we're talking about the text now if you actually talk about like particular interpretations I'm wondering if and how that changes I think you could read um Tom Hiddleston's Hal in four parts one and two as like a Hufflepuffy type character because Mm. he does a lot for Falstaff right the it all depends on how you interpret like the whole Falstavian gang of guys. Cause like you can read it as a bunch of Gryffindor jocks, like riding around playing japes on people, or it's like this little Hufflepuffy and found family of losers. And Hal is like one of the loser family for a time. And then he has to like grow out of that and be a war leader. But like, I think there's Hufflepuff and Gryffindor. I think Well, and I think even by the beginning of Henry the Fourth Part One, he has that speech where he's like, "I know this is. I know the party's going to end soon, so I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts." But I know it's ending. Like he says that at the very beginning of Henry the Fourth Part One. So he's he's always he's never really part of the losers. He's the life of the party, and he's like their leader, but he's not one of them. That's true. I think I would also say that. I read Falstaff as a Gryffindor, like, no matter what play he appears in. Like, even in Merry Wives, where he is just, like, this weird country knight. Puns a lot, because Merry Wives is all about puns and weirdness. Yeah. It's it's Falstaff spinoff sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's wonderful. But I I think part, part of my conception of the Gryffindor is that, like, their archetypal character is the knight like i think like that's a very gryffindory image like you're part of this in a how five what sense like band of brothers like that's what a gryffindor is like they're part of a team and that team is going to win falstaff 
he's part of a team that doesn't care about winning, but he's still like out there gaming, and it's great. I my thinking about Henry V is that yes, you could always place him in Gryffindor. I think you could make an argument that Tom Hiddleston's and even his Hal, for that matter, is a Ravenclaw because he's a hmm. very He's a very cerebral Henry V, and he's very, very, like, self-aware, even back when he's at the Boar's Head. Like, when he gives that speech, and I've seen that speech done as, like, oh, I guess it's going to end, but whatever. It's not ending now. But his, which is done in voiceover, is much more melancholy and, like, ah, I guess I'm growing up. It's 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 ending, but, and I know that I'm going to have to become king, and, like, there's a lot more weight on his shoulders, from the very beginning, then you could potentially play it. And he's just like a very thoughtful and intelligent person throughout, especially in Henry V. He, you know, he spends a lot of time thinking about whether or not he wants to go to war. And he's very like intellectually intelligent and emotionally intelligent. And he's often kind of alone in part because he's just like so thoughtful and also because he's you know the king well maybe he grows up from being ron weasley to becoming hermione granger yes <laughs> mm. he has That's emotional intelligence and thoughtfulness, yes. but he's still like a war leader that i buy okay sure yes he's always a gryffindor but he could be a more granger. of a her or more of a hermione than a harry Sure. Well, and this also speaks to the larger issue of there being a, a bit of nuance within each classification. You yeah. know, I mean, and although, I think... I, yeah, I mean, we never really quite got there with Slytherins, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, just because they're the bad guys, you know, so it's like well, we spent Snape. more time with, yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing yeah, is that, that like it, it, Snape and Slughorn are really like the most that we got as far as depth. Although we saw a lot more shades from uh, from the other houses, but this is sort of a uh, 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 like a distraction. So, but I, I just wanted to. Well, yeah, I mean, I like I wrote a whole yeah. blog post about this, and like there's a second part that I haven't finished. That's all about like why we need to nuance it more. But no, yeah. but I think yeah. you're yeah. raising totally a fair. Point, because even in Shakespeare, it sure sounds like what we're we're finding that Gryffindor is also protagonist house. Yeah, because yeah. I think I think a lot of that is because like Gryffindor carries those like classically English virtues as like mm. their whole standard. So like it recurs a lot in literature. That's all about like winning. Well, and the thing that, it, and, you know, with more, if this was more of like what the focus of the books were, what it would have been nice to see like a little bit more of is the with there being four houses and there being a protagonist house and there being a villain house to have coalitions with the other two more often. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. most of the time when everybody would get together, it would be the other three against Slytherin. And it yeah. was never, and and I always thought that you know, like if it was to break down along more natural lines, that you would see a Gryffindor Hufflepuff coalition with mm. you know the Gryffindors bossing the Hufflepuffs around, and a more mm. like meeting of the minds vested self interest coalition between Ravenclaw and Slytherin, because the rationality would mm. grasp ambition more than it would loyalty or heroism. Mm. Although, I mean, the way that it ended up shaking out in the books was that the Ravenclaws always, you know, would, you know, albeit reluctantly, end up just going mm-hmm. along with whatever the Gryffindors did because their rational self-interest, you know, saw them as, you know, it's like, well, they're the clear good. So, mm-hmm. we're, we're, yeah. Right, because the I book didn't really have, they didn't really have interesting Slytherins that were students. And this is the problem with reading all those books for the first time when I was like 25. You know, yeah. it, it was that I didn't, I didn't have that, like that, that, um, you know, like experience of being an 11 year old reading the first book, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like, I'm, lo- I'm looking at all of them just being like, oh man, you know, like we're poking in, like, stop being more like a children's book, you children's book. You know? <laughs> <laughs> who else? Anyway, back, back to Shakespeare. Yeah. Back to Shakespeare. Always. Yes. Trying to think who else is like worth discussing the Dauphin. 
I don't even remember anything about him other than he's French and he loses. So he's probably a Slytherin and that he loses yeah. and is French. Well, and he's a pompous ass. You can't oh, yeah, I think, yeah, all of these are just building towards an inescapable characterization as Slytherin. I mean, whether or not he would get there in his own merits is, is another thing, but authorial perspective just basically pigeon, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like just pegs uh, the Delphine as a Slytherin. Right. And pretty. And what about the Herald? Oh, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Princess Kate? Oh, she's a Ravenclaw. She speaks more than one language. Uh, yeah, they, they, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> her French is great. I mean, but <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I say her English is great. I guess. Also, yeah. keep, keep in mind, Hermione speaks French too. Does she? Oh, that's true. She does, yeah. Okay. But does she talk about finger Niles? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think a lot of the other supporting characters, it totally depends on the production. Because they can always blur together, too, if they're not done right. Yeah. That's what's happening in my mind. In part because, like, all I can think about is Tom Hiddleston. So <laughs> that's his fault. What a distraction. The great distractor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Oh, Tom man, I'm away from the night manager drop. Oh, God. <laughs> what? What did you say? I didn't hear you. I said I can't, I can't wait for the night manager to start airing here. Oh, my God. The United so States. Good. Oh, looking forward to that. So good. Yeah. Also, yeah, the show that launched a, a million gifts. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I haven't seen any of them because I've been paying unattention on purpose because I want to be fresh. But because. Yeah, I think that this demonstrates that we can go on at great length about this. So yeah. I think that we yeah. should try tackling the entire Shakespeare canon at once. That we should, oh that my God, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to read all of the plays that I haven't read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why don't yeah, for you a winter's tale? <laughs> oh, winter's tale rules, man. Yeah. So um, that's where Hermione is, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's Original weird Hermione. and it's late and the weird late ones are, yeah. Yeah, they're definitely weird. Like the Tempest. Tempest is now, the Tempest weird. is a, a, another one that I was in and that I have a lot of a, a, entertaining war stories about. Um, That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm for, like, adjourning for now and then coming back when at, at an appropriate time. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did a good job. I think I talked <laughs> I think so too much. Eh, everybody listen. I, I think I talk too much too. So yeah, okay. you're off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there are only three of us on here. I don't think it's possible <laughs> for everyone to talk too much. <laughs> okay. Well, let's adjourn our pilot episode of if Shakespeare characters went to Hogwarts. <laughs> so let's we'll remind everybody who we are. Um, I'm Alex Heaney. I'm the editor in chief of the Seventh Row. You can find me on Twitter at bwestcineast. That's b w e s t c i n e a s t e. And our resident Hogwarts experts today are Connor Joel. Uh, yep, Connor Joel. You can follow me on Twitter at Keep the Muse if you want more of my thoughts about Shakespeare and Hogwarts and uh, pastry making. I do a lot of that. And Eleanor Dashwood. And, 100%. Children's and we also and we also have Danny Bose. I am Danny Bose. You can follow me on Twitter at, at bybose, B-Y-B-O-W-E-S. And uh, I, my writings on film and stuff are up here places at times. And his uh, girls recaps. They're so good. <laughs> yes. I've been recapping the season of girls. The season of girls is amazing. Okay, that's it for me. <laughs> yep. All right, thanks for listening. We'll be, if this is well received, we'll come back with episode two of If Shakespeare Characters Went to Hogwarts. Or as I'm going to start calling it, Sorting Shakespeare. <laughs> that works too. Yeah. <laughs>
For show notes and more information about the podcast, please visit 7th-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-row.com.